Rafer. Yes. Let's talk about one of your favorite subjects. Which is? Movie musicals. <laughs> That's one of my least favorite subjects, as you well know. What is your issue with them, though? What's going on here? What's your problem? Oh, you know what it is? It's um, they just they they freak me out a little bit. They freak me out. Um, not not all of them. Like I I, I don't want to say that I just I totally dislike musicals, but a lot of times, the idea that two people are singing right into each other's faces it just freaks me out. But we do that every day, Rafer. When the, <laughs> yeah, when the mics might. are off, you and I do that with each other. You don't have to pretend we don't do that. The listeners need to know the Haven't truth. Have you noticed the look on my face when you're always <laughs> singing right at me? But what about singing a- the podcast song? <laughs> and the how are we going to come up with a trivia question song? Those are your I want songs. I want a trivia question song. That's the Kristen Meinzer I want song from the musical Movie Date. But, but Rafer, what about if it's one of those that falls into the musical category for the award season but might not actually be a technical musical? It might just be a person is a musician in the movie and yeah. sings their acts. Are and, you more okay with that? And it's always journalistic shorthand to call those musicals. Like they'll say, like Sparkle, you know, the such and such musical drama. And I always think, but nobody was singing into each other's face in that. So it's not a musical. If you're singing on a stage as part of the narrative, you know, like in, I don't know, uh, The Jazz Singer or something. But Neil Diamond in that movie was not singing into Laurence Olivier's face. And so oh, that, but, oh, that means were. it's not a musical. I just wish he had done that. <laughs> <laughs> I know you love musicals. I know. Well, and look, we both love music, and I'm a former rock critic. We both love music. We have a lot to talk about this week. We've got Inside Lou and Davis, which is what the journalists would call a musical drama. We have, uh, you're going to tell us a little bit about, of course, The Sound of Music Live. Yes. Now, that that's adaptation. a musical. Oh, yes, it is. And then, of course, we have the new Pearl Jam soundtrack movie. Out of the furnace. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> correct. Not really a musical drama in any sense, but the Pearl Jam, the Pearl Jam soundtrack plays a plays a part. Eddie Vedder, we should say. Eddie Vedder. Not yes. Pearl Jam. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's let's get down to it. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday, and I'm Kristen Rockin Meinzer, producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date. All right. Well, let's start. Let's start with the least musical film. Let's start with Out Out of the Furnace. Uh, oh, really? You don't think this is musical? <laughs> Did you think? But was what it? about this? Do you hear this sound? Oh, nobody can see this. It's my two fingers rubbing together the world's tiniest violin. Because this, this is a movie that's supposed to make us cry, I think, and oh, feel sad. Oh, that's interesting. I feel so sad. Oh, let's talk about let's talk about that. Okay, so <laughs> Out of the Furnace. This is this is kind of a late contender in the in the awards season. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what its chances are going to be. It starts Christian Bale as a guy who uh, he's a, a blue collar steel mill town worker and. and Braddock, Pennsylvania. He uh, is fresh from prison. When he gets out, he discovers that his brother, Rodney, played by um, Casey Affleck, has become a bare-knuckle boxer. He's uh, paying the bills by beating people in the, in, in the streets and uh, perhaps also, I guess you might say, kind of exercising the demons that he acquired on his tours of Iraq. Trou- troubled kid. Uh, Rodney meets a guy named uh, Harlan DeGroat, He's Played a, by Woody Harrelson. By Woody Harrelson. This is a, 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 mean, a mean mofo from the mountains, part of the inbred mountain folk, as they call them. And uh, the two of them um, sort of uh, 
cross paths uh, Ill, ill-fatedly, let's say. So uh, when uh, Christian Bale discovers that his brother is missing, he decides to take the law into his own hands and go find him himself. Uh, let's hear a clip. <laughs> You're going to be a good boy and take a dive like Patty said you would. I'm not going to have to teach you a lesson. No, he's good. He's good. You teach me a lesson? I gave you a word. Yeah, teach you a lesson. Everything's good. Let me hear you say it. Teach me a lesson. This is uh, this is the the latest film from Scott Cooper, uh, who did Crazy Heart, which I liked quite a bit. The one with Jeff Bridges as the country singer. I really liked that movie. Did you? I didn't see it. Oh, you didn't see Crazy no, Heart? No, I totally missed it. Oh, Everyone's Crazy told Heart's, me it's fantastic, yeah, it's, though. It's really worth seeing. Jeff Bridges won the Oscar for it. It's 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 a really good, really good film, really good, lovely movie. And um, this was clearly Scott Cooper wanting to make a more gritty, working class kind of drama. Um, I think it is a little uh, kind of slow paced. Really it's, slow. It's It can be a little pokey. I agree with you. I was so bored and I felt like they were trying to elicit feelings from me. They would juxtapose this against this. I'm going to be out hunting for a deer yeah. while you're out hunting for a fight in the streets. Yeah. Yes. This was happening a lot and I felt like it was supposed to make me feel deeply. I think it was supposed to make me sad and make me think about the destruction and the decay of American life and what America used to be. Yeah. And it was not working for me. That's interesting. Um, was it working for you? I think what kind of – what I liked about it was – well, I guess what I – here's what I'd say. What I didn't like about it was that I, I think you're right. I think it's trying to lay on the sort of post-financial collapse, you know, America's heartland going down the tubes angle. Um, the, the authenticity, while it felt authentic, also felt a little a little pat, a little um, – Really pat. Really pat to you. Okay. Uh, but – and also, I feel like this is basically the kind of screenplay that you could see from – you could find this screenplay in film noirs and westerns you know, back through time. There was, nothing, there was nothing thematically modern or up-to-date or now in this screenplay. Um, but I thought the acting was ferociously good from everybody. I thought Christian Bale – was amazing. Uh, I thought oh, Casey he Affleck. Was great. He was great, right? He's fantastic. Casey Affleck is always good. Woody Harrelson, I thought, was hilariously good. He's totally and terrifying and completely terrifying. He's totally terrifying. He's funny. That hot dog scene in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> There's right. this scene with a hot dog. You're like, oh, Woody yeah, Harrelson, hot, stay yeah. away from me. Yeah, the hot dog scene. Uh, if anybody else out there has seen. Um, uh, Killer Joe with Matthew McConaughey. The hot dog scene at the beginning may rival the fried chicken scene at the end of Killer Joe. Uh, <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. But um, And I thought it was a little bit much, frankly. But uh, the acting is so good that I think you could sit through the movie just to appreciate these three actors. And I really feel like they connect on each other in this very kind of instinctive, really deep level. Um, I, I think they're what makes the movie... Uh, a sale for me. Uh, so I gave it a, I gave it, a, I would call it, what would I call it? A good date. I think it is a, I think it is a good, solid date. I think it is not a good date. You don't. I thought it was a slow, boring, long date. It felt as dated as the Eddie Vedder soundtrack. I was, that, that's, yes. that's one of the problems is the Eddie it Vedder just soundtrack. It so old and dated and so slow 
really great acting. I agree with you, but not enough to make this movie deliver. But at the same, but at the same time, don't you feel like don't you feel like in those kinds of towns, people are about ten years behind the time culturally? Honey, (laughs) we're talking twenty five years behind the times. (laughs) This is not ten years ago that Pearl Jam was at its peak. Gosh, you've got a point there, don't you? (laughs) Anyway, but I mean, for God's sake, they're still listening to like eighties Heartland rock in some of these places. Do you know what I mean? I I felt like in some kind of weird way, even though I've never been a Pearl Jam fan or an Eddie Vedder fan uh, musically, I I felt like in some way it kind of fit. I I felt like that probably is what that guy's listening to right now. He probably is listening to Eddie Vedder, right? Yeah, yeah. You're probably right about that. But still, I'm sorry. Bad date. Okay. Well, that's that's what I would say. Um, All right. Well, let's move on to our next musical drama, uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Kristen, do you want to tell us about this? Yeah, this is the new, highly anticipated Coen Brothers movie, which takes place in the 1960s. We're following a folk singer, a fictional folk singer, which um, I have to point out, not everybody knows that. I've talked with several people who've said to me, like, oh, who was Lewin Davis? And I've had to tell them he wasn't actually real. (laughs) Fictional. He's a fictional character. He's a folk singer living in the, well, he's kind of couch hopping all, all over New York City, mostly staying with his friends in the village and then a professor uptown that he stays with from time to time. He is kind of reprehensible, terrible to people. He's not afraid to start fights, to use women, to yell at people for no good reason. And yet he's got the most beautiful, unbelievable singing voice. And he is performing. He's trying to make a career for himself as a solo artist. He used to be in a duo. However, his partner in the duo has died. So starting from scratch right now and dealing with a producer who never seems to give him any money, yeah. maybe, maybe because he's not earning money or maybe because the producer's keeping all the money. Right. Uh, and so we follow him on his journey trying to make it. Let's play a clip of the movie. I'm getting my silver tone. You get to play it if and only if you sing. Right, yeah. Okay, I can tell this is one of those things where I keep saying no and you think I'm just asking you to beg more. Yeah, that's right. Right, well, look, I'm not a trained poodle. I thought singing was a joyous expression of the soul. Yeah. All right. Rafer, what did you think of this? Well, um... As you may or may not know, I've had pretty high hopes for this because I am a I am a Coen Brothers fan. I, I do I I have my my quibbles with them, um, large large quibbles, but I am a Coen Brothers fan, and I'm a fan of Oscar Isaac, the actor who plays Lewin Davis, who is I think uh, mostly an unknown, but he's been in small parts here and there, and and. I'm not saying I launched him to stardom, but I've been watching his career for many years and thinking that guy is going to be a star. That guy is going to be a star. Oscar, so, if you're listening, you have to give Ray for credit. I've got, I, I, and I got to tell you, I think I just I, I I first saw him in a movie called Agora, sort of an oddball sword and sandals movie. I think with Rachel Weisz, um, strange movie, but he just popped out to, to me in that film as funny and charming, um, super handsome guy. It seems to oh me. Oh my right? god, he's gorgeous! Yeah, Look re- at those big brown eyes. I could just. Yeah. Just jump right into those and never get out. Cuban Guatemalan he is. Mm, gorgeous. Um, he's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. And 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 just he's got a certain kind of funny and in, uh, in, intelligence to him that I, I think you don't see in actors very often. So I was really excited to see him. Um, and of course, I'm a, I'm a rock geek. And so I like, you know, I, I love the idea of the West Village in 1961. I love the idea of this kind of interesting time kind of. After jazz, after the beats, but the, but the 60s have not yet gone into full swing. The Beatles have not come in and changed everything. It's this interesting kind of limbo between these two eras. I love all that. Um, ultimately, I also, I think, 
Well, I'll just say it. I, I loved it. I loved the movie. What? Yeah, I just loved oh it. Oh, my God. Reefer. I loved I'm it. I'm in shock. Are you? Really? You you loved it? Well, my what one What did cons- you love about it? My concern, my concern was that it was going to be too boomerish, that it was going to be a big baby boomer love fest to the 60s, and I was going to have to hear more of, you know... More, more sort of Grail Marcusy talk about Dylan and the old weird America and blah 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 blah. And I just kind of thought oh, that's that's my one concern. But it wasn't that at all. And I felt that this movie, it's just about a guy who is he's he's young, he's got big dreams, he's got artistic ambitions, he's moved to the big city, and he's trying to make it. That story could be told in any era. That could be in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, on and on and on. After the 60s and before the 60s, you could tell that story. And I really felt like it captured the kind of just that bittersweet, hard hard and fun and joyful and, and rugged period in your youth where you are trying to make a go of it. And maybe you will and maybe you won't. And I thought it really just captured that perfectly. You say no? You know, you just said two words here that really jumped out at me. You said bittersweet and joyful time. First of all, just bitter. There is no sweetness in this movie. (laughs) I disagree. He is so bitter. He is so mean to anybody around him. Anybody who's even remotely kind to him, he just bulldozes. He's terrible to everybody around him. Not the cat. That cat, he can't, <laughs> nice even tell the, cat. he can't even tell the difference between that cat and any other cat okay, on the street. He doesn't point. know the difference between this cat and that's that cat. Point. As for Joyful, he never once expresses joy in this movie, except he does give us joy when he's singing on stage. When he sings, it's just angelic and beautiful and gorgeous. He's very talented. That's Oscar Isaac's actual voice and his actual guitar. Oh, my God. He Oscar Isaac, a... if you're listening, one more reason to marry me. Totally. Let's do this thing. Let's He's do a, it. He was, uh, he was in a rock band in Miami uh, called the Blinking Underdogs. I love I love that name. <laughs> again, again, why did that band not go anywhere? Uh, he, he's fantastic as a singer, but yeah. as a human being, he's just atrocious and he's terrible. And that made it really hard for me to watch this movie. I don't ah, really like... So you couldn't... You I don't couldn't... enjoy watching mean people be mean to people. Ah, and okay. watching that for over two hours, I'm mean being mean to people. The, I, and I just felt the musical numbers were a wonderful respite and they're such great songs. I so enjoyed hearing him sing in this movie, but I did not enjoy the movie as a whole. I, I just... I can't give it my... Stamp of approval. I cannot call this a good date. I wow. wish I could call it a good date. No kidding. I'm going to say it's one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard, but one of the most painful, awful, abusive dates I've ever been on. It's that date you go on where they kind of act nice to you, but they insult you the whole time. <laughs> you know, you seem really smart for a really ugly girl. I don't know. Something like that. It's just like that level of like... Yeah, well, he. I mean, you know, one of the first things, one of the first things that Oscar Isaac, that that Lewin Davis does in the movie is he writes he writes an apology letter uh, to the people that he was staying with. Uh, And 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 this phrase comes up over and over in the movie. I was a sorry mess last night. He writes that he writes that and says that several times in the in the film. And I just feel like 
I've been a sorry mess. Like, We've all uh, been like, sorry messes. I know what you, that feels like. Have you been mean to every single person around you? I've been. I've definitely been mean to people I should not have been mean to. That is for sure. And I and my heart went out to him because I just thought that's this. This is that's what it's like to be a kid, even though he's clearly about thirty. That's what it's <laughs> like to be still in your adolescence, right? You're you know you're o- you're only thinking about yourself. You're 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 a careerist. You're ambitious. You're you're trying to get ahead. You're jealous you're petty i i understand it i totally understand it and i and for and maybe it's just me maybe it's because i'm maybe i'm more like lewin davis than i care to admit but i felt for him i i understood it and i understood you know sort of what what all that stuff does to him you can see that it's eating him up inside and um i don't know i i i i love i loved the character i loved the movie uh, the soundtrack, I think, could wind up being a big seller. T-Bone Burnett, who did the Coen Brothers' uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, um, was the sort of music supervisor, producer on this whole thing. A lot of the songs are traditional folk songs um, that were favorites of Dave Van Ronk, who was a folk singer in the 60s, who wrote a memoir called uh, Mayor of McDougal Street. And his memoir is sort of the inspiration, not really the basis, but it's the inspiration for this movie. There are a lot of, we, we, don't, we don't need to go into them, but there are a lot of real life analogs to a lot of the people and places in the movie. Um, it is a great soundtrack, but I love the movie as well. I'd say it's an excellent date. Mm, interesting. Okay. <laughs> All right. Disagreement, disagreement there. Um, well, okay, now, Kristen, um, I'm going to turn this over to you because I want you to tell us about the sound of music live. Yeah. Some of our listeners asked us, Carrie in L.A., for example, said, I'm waiting for your sound of music <laughs> review. So um, this, is, this, this, this has been like a cultural phenomenon. Just the fact that it was happening and, and the lead up to it has been like a complete cultural phenomenon. It's been crazy. And, you know, Carrie Underwood has had to defend herself against hate tweets that have come at her. Julie Andrews. You know, she, she's been fielding questions about this. Poor Julie Andrews fielding questions about this. So if you don't know, The Sound of Music Live was, is, was a, um, a remake of the famous movie, of course, with Julie Andrews and, and Christopher Plummer as the Von Trapp family singers. But, but actually a staging of the original stage version. Oh, it's more a staging of the original, of the original production. Um, okay. So well, and, and, and what's remarkable to me, two things are remarkable to me about this, is that it was live. It was a three-hour live television broadcast on NBC last Last night, um, from right in my newspaper's backyard, Beth Page, Long Island. Uh, shout out to Long Island there. Uh, but live TV is pretty unusual, especially for a, an undertaking like that. Yeah, three so that's one amazing hours, thing. Yeah. yeah, three hours long. And the other amazing thing is that they cast Carrie Underwood in the role of Maria, taking over for a role. I know you're saying it's the stage play, but it's a role that we basically all associate know with... belongs to Julie Andrews now. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, the I think. The hate that was being piled on this movie before anyone even saw it was was pretty phenomenal. And then the reviews have not been that kind this morning. The Daily Beast uh, called um, uh, Carrie Underwood's performance painfully lifeless. Uh, the Washington Post called her flat as the label on a Swiss Miss package. <laughs> Uh, and you, I mean, you had like you had these. Everyone was everyone was live tweeting this. Uh, Anna Kendrick, Miranda Lambert, Cameron Diaz, Rob Lowe is freaking live tweeting their responses to Every, the sound of music. Everybody was. My favorite live tweeting was actually from DiGiorno Frozen Pizzas, though. <laughs> Why were they were they were they a sponsor? They were live tweeting all night, and they had tweets like "The kitchen is alive with the smell of pizza." <laughs> 
They were just hilarious. You have oh, got to see the DiGiorno feed. It was so that's funny. Some, that's some savvy marketing right there. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, so Kristen, what what do you think? First of all, why the backlash? Second of all, was it deserved? Did the, did the production earn it? Well, let's be honest. Nobody has ever thought of Carrie Underwood as a great actress. Mm, yeah, okay. Most of us still think of her either as the American Idol winner from that one season years and years ago, or we yeah. think of her as, oh, the country song sweetheart. And so we have her in this role that just feels like a stunt. And yeah. all of the promo materials, if you look at the posters, are just so god-awful and terrible looking. <laughs> and it just looks so shabby and silly. And we just all love Julie Andrews so much. I know it. Who doesn't love Julie Andrews? She's great. And so it's hard to replace her. But I think that, you know, it is a huge undertaking, a three-hour live broadcast. that You have to respect that. Yeah, that includes music because that's a whole other level of trying to do sound management, stage management, and so on. So I have to say, whoever was in charge of the production side of things, they did a mostly good job. There were some points where the music was too loud. There were a few points where... It just didn't sound completely sound balanced, right? But Uh for the most part, I was really impressed with the staging of it. But, oh, the acting. Oh, Oh, really? That sad, sad, awful acting in this. And probably the best part for most of us was actually just looking at the big media hullabaloo around all of it. It It really was something. It was so much fun to see all the tweeting. It was so much, I mean... Everybody from Jezebel to The Hollywood Reporter, they were all live blogging this last night. It's it's amazing how, uh, you know, it, who would have thought that this would be sort of the one thing that nobody ever wanted to see remade. But my God, the, the sound outrage. of music, the, don't touch that. The outrage. All yeah. of America basically just like stood up in their chairs and said, <laughs> do not remake that. Anywho, I'm going to say... It was a great date if you just love to gossip on your date and, right. and elbow each other and be drunk and have a good time. But if you actually are looking at the quality of who you're on the date with, not so good. Not so good. Not so good. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's about what I thought. <laughs> Should we move on to movie therapy? Yes. Movie therapy. Let's do this. Let's get on the couch. So this week, we have a question, a, a question from Hazel and her lesbian moms. They're writing in. Why do lesbian movies suck? And what can be done about it? There are like three movies that don't suck. <laughs> Thanks for putting in the word like. There are like three movies. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's good to type that. Thanks, Hazel. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Hazel. Um, I think you're right. Why do they, Kristen, for the most part? Here's my theory on it. I think roughly half of all movies suck. Yeah, that's probably true. And there just aren't that many lesbian movies. So yeah. let's say there are... 50 lesbian movies out there, and let's say half of them suck, that doesn't leave you a lot of lesbian movies. So you're saying the ratio is probably the same. It's just that you're talking about smaller a smaller number, so it seems like it seems like they all are bad. Yeah, I, th- I that think that's be. part of it, and I think that the other part of it might just be because the lesbian filmmaking population or industry is so s- small, it also yeah. doesn't have the financial might behind it. I think and when that's you don't a have the financial too. might behind it, it really limits what you can make because unfortunately, films are expensive. I think that's a big one too. That I think that's what I always get mad at Tyler Perry for is that he he, you know, he's a he's a filmmaker who is speaking primarily to a certain audience, to the African American audience that um, doesn't get to see themselves on screen that much and he he cheaps out on his movies and he's got the money 
But I know he wants to make these things profitable, but he cuts the corners and he makes them look cheap and shoddy. And I, a lot of times I just kind of feel like, man, you've got the wherewithal. You've got the financial wherewithal to really make, to rival any Hollywood budget. And you don't. And it kind of bums me out for that. Yeah. Well, what should we tell Hazel here? She says there's like three lesbian movies that don't suck. <laughs> can, we, can we round that out and make it a top ten maybe? We can, let's, let's, let's do that. Um, I, have, I have a couple. Let's, go, let's do back and forth, Kristen. Okay. Um, one that I will start with, and, I'm, and I want to say from the, from the get-go, I recommend some of these sort of with reservations. And I think in some ways these movies might be more interesting as time capsules and to see sort of how um, – lesbians on screen have kind of developed over the years. Um, but they do address some of, you know, they, they do address, uh, the, 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 they do address the concept of, of a gay, of a gay lifestyle for women in these movies, which is not that easy to find. So one of these that I would say is a movie called the killing of sister George. Uh, this goes back a ways. This is from 1968 from one of my favorite directors, Robert Aldrich. Um, it's got Susanna York and an actress I'm not that familiar with named Carol Brown. It's based on a play. It's about a woman who is a soap opera actress on a very popular British uh, you know, daytime drama. And she, as it happens, is secretly in a relationship with this very young, impressionable, not too bright, but smarter than you might think and a little more manipulative than the older woman, uh, I think, seems to realize. And it's really about their relationship, not a pretty one, not a healthy one, very dysfunctional relationship, uh, and as it kind of rises and falls. There's something a little kind of lurid and uh, and kind of over the top about this movie uh, which sometimes makes me think that maybe that's that the, that the filmmaker is being a little judgy about his lesbian characters. But I think that's just kind of Robert Aldrich. He was just that kind of director. He just um, judges everyone. Well, he's just he was just a, he was just kind of a kind of a, a, a lurid, high pitched kind of guy <laughs> in, a, in a lot of ways. Um, anyway, that would be my first recommendation to you. The Killing of Sister George. Um, I would recommend The Kids Are All Right. I just sure. Loved the kids are all right. Annette Me too. Benning is fantastic in it. Julianne Moore is fantastic. The kids are fantastic in it. Uh, Mike Mark Ruffalo is fantastic in it. It's just a smart movie, and it does one of my favorite things in movies, which is not show the love story of this is how we met and this is us getting married. It shows a relationship after decades and how it yeah. works and how it doesn't work and how you try to make it work and. It's such a challenge, and it's so not like the rest of Hollywood to try and show an advanced love story. A couple in their, you know, not in their early years, but in their mid to later years together. And it's so well done. I That's just, one of I, my – Just yeah. so smart fantastic movie. Lesbian or not, it's just a great movie. Yeah, and that's by uh, Lisa Cholodenko. I, I suppose you could add to this list another one of my favorite movies by her is High Art with uh, Ali Sheedy, uh, which I thought was a, a great, great movie. Um, okay, uh, speaking of, of The Kids Are All Right, I might recommend a movie that's al- a, almost a little bit in some ways a forerunner to that, Personal Best from 1982. Mariel Hemingway. Mariel Hemingway. This film, written by Robert Town, um, I think written and directed by Robert Town, um, uh, who did, of course, Chinatown. And um, this movie never really got the traction that it deserved. And I, I, I think when you go back and look at it now, it was really pretty daring for 1982. Mariel Hemingway plays a, a, an Olympic track star, um, she forms a relationship with an, another uh, a track star, um, uh, played, by the way, by a real-life track star. Uh, and But she also uh, starts up a relationship with a man, uh, uh, played by Scott Glenn, weirdly. 
So I suppose technically you, you, you have to qualify her as bisexual, but, I, but somehow the movie conveys that that's not the case. You know sort of where her real heart lies, I think. And I just remember this being like a, a, pretty, a pretty thoughtful, uh, very like non-judgmental and just really kind of clear-eyed look at this one woman's sexuality and what her what she was trying to do and trying to be in her life um and uh, you know uh I, I think i think it's a great movie and very ahead of its time so that's i think that's worth renting excellent i'm gonna recommend but i'm a cheerleader the oh movie yes with natasha leone which is a comedy kind of campy low-budget farcical movie about conversion therapy and, yes. and that's not funny about conversion therapy. Like, <laughs> Any, anything that makes fun of conversion <laughs> therapy is the right thing to do. Conversion therapy should be made fun of. Here's a movie that makes fun of it. Check it out. And, and giggle a little bit. You'll have a good giggle over that. Okay. Uh, my, my last one, you're going to scoff, Emmanuel II, The Joys of a Woman. This I'm is... pretty sure that that's a bath product in my... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that something that I use to wash myself in the? Oh, go. Ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. I think uh, this is this is chapter two in what was a very successful run of uh, hugely cheesy softcore uh, Euro porn <laughs> in the 70s. This one was from 1975. Oh, I you. love. Of course, you chose softcore porn. I love the Emmanuel movies. I love the Emmanuel movies. Uh, the you know, the director from uh, the straight man here. I know. I know. And you know. And you could say that, that these movies are going to be too much too male gaze or. Oriented. So I, I do recommend to you not to get the first one, which I think is is probably at this point um, offensive. Uh, but I think <laughs> I won't I won't go into the reasons why. Um, the first one is very story of O. Let's just put it that way. Uh, Emmanuel too, though, is is she she goes on a on a journey uh, with much more same sex encounters. And so the reason I recommend this to you is basically because I think it's pretty hard to find. Um, this kind of porn anymore. I think it's really hard to find <laughs> porn that like tries to give you a plot and production values and costumes, a storyline, characters, actual acting, you know, and really kind of basically set the mood, which I just think porn doesn't do anymore. Oh, um, they don't care about mood. I'm just saying, and you're, I, and and you know, fair warning, you're going to have to sit through a couple of guy scenes, and, I'm, and I bet you they're going to have some pretty awful Euro haircuts and Euro mustaches, so you could just, you know, maybe you fast forward through that. I don't know. Oh, mustaches are back in fashion now, though. That's, oh, that's right. They are. That's right. Um, but anyway, that's why I recommend to you, Emmanuel, too. If I've steered you wrong, write, <laughs> write back and let me know. And one last recommendation I wanted to throw in. If you have a Netflix account, Check out the TV series for Netflix, Orange is the New Black. Oh, sure. Yeah. So great. It's sure. just very smart, very nuanced. No one's 100% good. No one's 100% bad. A lot of people are somewhat gay, somewhat straight. Some of them are just gay. Some of them are just straight. And it's just fantastic. There's also a terrific trans character played by Laverne Cox in it that you should check out. And that is our list. All right. There you go. All right. So we want to remind listeners... We always are happy to help you with your movie or life issues. Just call us up, write us, and we'll prescribe some movies to help you through whatever you need help with. So the number is 5717movies. Or you can log on to our website, facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. Now, But finally. Don't, don't do that. Call. <laughs> call. Rafer hates it when people write I don't write like it when people write in. <laughs> you want calls. I want a call. All right. So you'll be happy then, Rafer, that we did get a call this week to our trivia question. Yes, good. Our most recent trivia qu- question, Rafer, was 
about the movie Frozen. We um, we used the Disney movie Frozen as a jumping off point to talk about other winter movies. Yes. And we asked about a winter horror movie, which is all about three friends caught on a chairlift. Right. This movie came out just a few years ago, less than five years ago. And that's the whole horror movie. You're trapped on a chairlift. That's right. That's right. The horror. The and horror. We, and we asked, do you know the name of that movie? And, of course, Jason knew the answer. Hi, Reverend Kristen. My name is Jason Stack. I'm calling in from Suffern, New York. I actually have an answer for this week's trivia question. The song is Frozen. Yeah, yeah, I know. There's no relation between the Disney film and this. Thanks. Have a nice day. Bye. Way to go, Jason. Great job. Are you suffering there in Suffern, New York? Oh, oh, I bet you hate that. That I was a clever you. question we came up with, wasn't oh, it? Well, frozen versus frozen. <laughs> God, lot, that was smart. A lot of listeners got that right, though. Tons of <laughs> oh, listeners got right. that right. <laughs> Good. Good for you, listeners. <laughs> and what's this week's trivia question, Rafer? This week's trivia question, uh, because we were talking about Inside Lewin Davis, uh, a fictional folk singer, uh, that though many people think he is real, got us to thinking about other fictional musicians, other fictional bands that have been in films. Uh, there have been so many, too many to list here. But there is one that uh, some of you out there, I'm sure, uh, know if we just played this clip. What's that you know. band? What's that movie? If you know that fictional band and the movie that they were in, give us a call, 5717-MOVIES. Or, even though Rafer doesn't like it, you can write to us at facebook.com slash podcast. Sugar! 